finally made it. Okay, so we're going to really begin our studies uh, proper today and uh, start to delve into grace. And in particular this morning, what I've called the framework for grace, which is basically a, a simple understanding of grace. So my objective is, is that you'll leave here going, well, this is really basic. And, and that's the whole idea of uh, what today is all about. Essentially, I'm going to uh, propose that um, rather than just one single uh, grace, if you like, that there is actually... Uh-huh. I failed at my first attempt. We've got instructions on this. is that there is actually three stages, you can call them whatever you like, three different graces, three stages, three parts, where they're going to be described as three rooms, but there is three stages of grace. And part of the confusion, I believe, around the topic is that everything gets lumped into one big grace, if you like, and there's no distinction made. But I believe, and we'll be able to show pretty easily this morning, that actually the Bible is very clear on these distinct stages. So the first of those is the manifold grace of God. We're going to explain these all as we go, so um, don't panic just yet if you're not keeping up. And then the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and thirdly, the exceeding riches of his grace. So so those are the three stages of grace um, which we're going to explore uh, this morning. Right. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ only really talks about and teaches using the word grace on two occasions. And on both of those occasions, they are really, really significant. So we're going to look at the first one now and the second one in our study tomorrow night, if I'm well. Um, So... So I want you to take really particular close attention now as we, as we turn to Luke chapter 6. So only two times Christ teaches us about the word grace. And they're really significant. You'll, you'll be familiar with this teaching of Christ. It's, it's one where he talks about that we need to love our enemies. And it's a, it's a commandment of Christ that we understand. But you'll see that this whole idea is actually forms the basis of our understanding of what grace is about. So verse 27 of Luke 6. Christ says, I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. If someone smites you on one cheek, offer also the other. Him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. 
Give to every man that asketh of thee, of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. So here's our here's very simple understanding of undeserved kindness, isn't it? So don't just repay good for good. Um, don't just love your friends, love your enemies. It's a, it's a really nice, succinct teaching of this idea of undeserved kindness, to love your enemies. Verse 32 for if ye love them which love you, what grace have you? That's, that's how, I mean, the AV says, what thank have ye? But it's the Greek word for grace. What grace have you? If you're just loving them which love you, what grace have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what grace have ye? That's not grace, he's saying. For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what grace have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. Pretty simple so far. Is everyone on board with that? Yeah. Yeah. Just nod. Okay. Now here's the key part in what it tells us about God. Verse 35 but love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great and ye shall be the children of the highest. If you act in this way, if you show this grace, you'll be called the children of the highest. Why? Well, see what it says. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Verse 36. Be therefore merciful. And the key little word in this verse is. As. As your father also is merciful. Because the way he is merciful is he is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. And if you act like that. If you show that same kind of love. And kindness, well, that makes you, well, the children of the highest. Because that's what God, your Father, is like. That's how he acts. So this establishes something here, doesn't it? That God, God's kindness is not limited to those who are thankful or to the good. That's the opposite to that. His kindness is extended to the evil and to the unthankful. Let's just come back now to Matthew chapter 5, which is sort of like a parallel record of this teaching. <clears throat> Once again, familiar ideas. So Matthew 5, 38. You've heard that it hath been said... An eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. That's an exchange, isn't it? Um, kindness for kindness, so to speak. But I say unto you, you know, resist not evil. If anyone smites you on the right cheek, offer the other also. We've got the coat in verse 40. Whoever compels you to go a mile in verse 41, go with him too. So the same, time, the same teaching here from Christ. Give to him that asks of thee, from him that would borrow thee, turn not away. 
In verse 43, you've heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbour and hate thine enemy. But I say, love your enemy. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Why? So that ye may be the children of your father. (coughs) This is what makes you children of your father, which is in heaven. For, it says, middle of verse 45, and he quotes now from Job, for... He makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. Be ye therefore perfect, he finishes in verse 48, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So here we've got this teaching from Christ and it's telling us about what God's kindness is like. So you've got someone who hates God, despises him, says all sorts of things against God, and God still shows kindness to that person. He's the the God that sends rain on the just and on the unjust, to the evil and the good. And so it's telling us something about grace. So this first grace which we're talking about, is, is, is what we call the manifold grace of God. So this is, this is God's grace, God's kindness, which seems to go out into all the, worth, into, into all the world sorry, as, if, as if there was no condition on it. Right? So let's just um, see if I can get this to work. And what we're going to do here is I'm now going to ask you a few questions. And see if you can answer to me, what are some of the things, rather than me just, we'll we'll summarise this shortly. And I'm conscious of time, so you'll have to be quick. All right? I need more time for me to speak. So, on the left-hand side, we've got the manifold, which just means many and varied, right? Just all different types. Um, What are... Some of the many and varied graces which God, which God gives or God is kind to anybody in the world. What are those things? Sunshine. Is that working? <laughs> yeah. Rain. Yeah. Clean water. Life. <laughs> that was my attempt to write scenery really quickly. <laughs> Each other. Sorry? Each other. What do you mean by hope? Hope of the kingdom to come. That's right. Yep, hope of the kingdom to come. So in what way does God offer hope? Jesus. Yep. So there's there's an offer of hope. Is that what we're saying? There's an offer of hope through the sacrifice of Christ for all mankind. 
Is, is, is that available to everybody? Yeah. Absolutely. So there's, there's an offer of hope. So forgiveness, forgiveness is interesting. So in what way does God, um, and I'm, I'm, in what way does God offer forgiveness for everybody in the world? Okay, yep. So in the way that you're talking about there, I would suggest that we're going to see that that is part of a second stage of grace. Because because what you described to me then was something that had some sort of condition on it, didn't it? Would that be fair in saying that? I can't see who you talked, actually. Yep, would that be fair? So we'll talk about that in a sense. If you're interested, um, there, there is perhaps an idea where there is um, uh, a form of forgiveness or you might say forbearance that God has with everybody across the world in that he has a, a forgiving character. But we've got to be careful if we're talking about like forgiveness as in constituted righteous as being in Christ. Okay, well, that's, that's quite good. So is everyone happy with that? There's one that's missing off his there. Word, his word. Yep, thank you. Knew I could rely on you, Luke. Okay. So let's just make sure we've got these. Yeah, very good. So a little summary of what we've seen. So he's, God is kind to the unthankful, the wicked um, and the unjust. In uh, a couple of places in Acts, it clearly says that God's word, freely given to all. In fact, it calls it the word of his grace. Um, we know Christ's sacrifice and the offer of hope and salvation has been extended to all mankind. Um, he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. So there's this, this grace that's gone out and seeking a response. It's seeking people to acknowledge the love that God has, has shown to us. And he's, and he's seeking that response. Um, where I get the manifold grace of God is from 1 Peter 4 and verse 10. And I'll just, if we can just turn to that right now, please. The phrase, that is. So 1 Peter 4 and verse 10, uh, or from verse 9, it says, Use hospitality one to another without grudging. So here's the context. It's hospitality and providing shelter and, and food and provision and, and welcome into each other's homes. For verse 10, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And it's simply saying, if, if God has given us everything that we have, our houses, our clothes, our food, <coughs> our shelter, 
Well, we should then be ministers of that grace, that gift. And we should become these ministers of these many and varied graces of God to one another and to, to everybody as God does. And so here's where we get this idea. But you can see it's around our needs now, the needs of, of our, our needs that we have every day. And um, one last one to add to that, which is an interesting one, um, just to reinforce this, is that, that Paul, when he took around that collection, remember he took up that collection we call the Jerusalem Poor Fund, that he was taking back to all the widows um, and the orphans in Jerusalem, he simply just called it this grace. Instead of like calling it the bag, do you call it the bag thing? We'll hand the bag around. Is that what you say? Yeah. yeah. It was like, oh, I'm going to hand the grace around. That's, that's literally what he said. I'll hand the grace around, um, put in, and as he packaged it all up in his, well, it's probably, in the end, it was probably quite a lot. He, he talked about carrying this grace around because it was, it was simply a gift from people, from ecclesias that he, that he visited to provide for people's need back in Jerusalem. And there was no strings attached. There was nothing that was deserved. It was simply just a gift. So here's the manifold grace of God. Now, of course, you can see clearly, can't you, amongst a couple of those verses, that Paul wasn't carrying around in the bag salvation in Jesus Christ. He wasn't carrying around the atonement, forgiveness in his suitcase, was he? So you can see that just because the word grace is used, it doesn't necessarily mean the same thing each time. And this is why we need to consider it carefully. And I think seeing these three stages of grace will help us really simply uh, be able to identify um, what he's talking about by, by looking at the context. Okay, let's move on to um, the second stage of grace, which is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> and let's turn to John chapter 1, which was our reading. We know John chapter 1 is introducing us to the Word made flesh. It's talking about Christ. It says in verse 14 that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And verse 16 says, And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. Now, this is a very interesting phrase. The, uh, the ESV says, grace upon grace. Or Weymouth and Young's literal translations say, grace over against grace. So there's this idea here with, with Christ coming. As you imagine that, that we've, we've got the manifold grace of God, we know what that is. And let's just imagine it's a box here in my hand. And I place this box down, right down here, there's an imaginary table there as well. And I place that box down, then it says, and grace was added to grace. Grace over against grace. And so there's like get, grabbing another box of grace and putting it now down beside this one. 
And further grace has now been given. Grace was added to grace. Vincent Word stated, I'm not sure if you are familiar with him, but he says that new grace was imparted now as the measure of grace has been received and improved. There's this additional grace. You might, you might start to call manifold grace with just ordinary grace. And now this is what we're going to see, abundant grace. And this is grace that's going to, well, it's going to belong to someone. It's going to be a particular grace. This is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's his grace that belongs to him. Let's just look at a few of these passages. First uh, Peter chapter 1. First Peter 1 and verse 9, you see the context is important. The context is about salvation for your souls. Verse 9, the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So we're talking about salvation. Verse 10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Well, hang on, surely God's been gracious since the beginning of time. What is this grace now that's coming unto them? Well, it explains it in verse 11. It says, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was in them, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So here they, they searched, what was this grace that was coming? What did they find? Well, it was the sufferings of Jesus Christ, Christ crucified and resurrected. This was salvation that would appear to them. So it's a particular grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which has been added to manifold grace. Come across to Titus in chapter 2. It's a very simple little verse here, but look at the look at the uh, the ownership of this grace to Christ, which is what's important. Titus two and verse eleven, for the grace of God, not just the many and varied grace, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Who's it talking about? Who's it talking about in this verse? Who's the grace of God that appeared to all men? Christ. Christ. Yeah, it's talking about a person. So this grace belongs to Christ. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's why this phrase, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, occurs numerous times in the New Testament. To identify which grace it's talking about. It's talking about salvation in Christ Jesus. And finally, just one more in Galatians chapter 1. Verse 
Galatians 1 and verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. The grace of Christ. Not just the many and varied graces, but the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this particular grace, the grace that appeared to men, was the grace that was added to grace. We won't go through these, but just on the screen you'll see the New Testament um, has this idea of now abounding grace, and actually superabounding grace, which we'll see as well. But it, it, is, it is cementing this idea that now grace has now increased with the, with the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. And of course, for those who are baptised, this is the grace that we have received. This with, with further grace has been added as we now have salvation in Jesus Christ. So let's then just come back to um, <coughs> to our chart. And I'll just pick your brains again, if you wouldn't mind. So what are some of the things which are available, if you like, or consist of the grace that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ? Fellowship. Fellowship, excellent. Friendship. Sorry? Friendship. Friendship. So it's a relationship, isn't it? Prayer. Yep, so, um, anyway, we can talk about it afterwards. Any others? Excellent. Yep, as available through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you think? No, I'm going to New Testament. Oh, okay, that part of what he did? Yep, I mean, that's interesting because that's what Christ did when he came. But I think I would probably put healing in manifold grace of God, as in sometimes he invoked some sort of response, but it was more to get people to respond to his love. Sorry? And not everyone who he healed had faith that he could do it either, just occasionally. He wants to get the attention of the crowd, so he goes and Right, as we're going to see, this is sort of like trying to, to gain a response. And so that, that might have been done for a particular reason, to get someone to respond to his love and grace. Yes? Sorry? Freedom. Freedom, yep. It, can you elaborate on that? Um, free the law of liberty instead of the law of Yep, yep. So we can say, 
Yep. Um, so his victory, would you call it that? Um, we've got hope in the first one. Is there hope in the second? Yeah. We've sort of talked about it, but what is, is it? Of hope. Yep. Of what? Of the kingdom Excellent. Okay, that's good. Um, quite a lot more than what I expected from the English, actually. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you guys have got a sense of humour. Okay, on to our third and final stage of grace, the exceeding riches of his grace. Um, and we might just go through them here. So just come back, we were already in 1 Peter, just come back there to 1 Peter chapter 1, because it, it distinguishes these two graces really simply. So we've already seen... Uh, <coughs> The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which appeared as being salvation. And we saw that in verse, remember we read verse 10 and 11. If you come over to verse 13, so 1 Peter 1 now in verse 13, it says, Wherefore gird up your loins of your mind and be sober and hope... To the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I mean, how clear is that? Here's a grace that's only going to be brought when Christ returns. It's the grace that's given at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As opposed to the salvation that we'd already received in verse 10 and 11, which was the sufferings of Christ and the glory that, should, that would follow. But he is bringing further grace. So now you can see I've got two boxes of grace here and a further box of grace is placed there for those who have responded at when he returns. There's a beautiful picture, isn't it, that, um, that it shows just, just how willing and how, how God wants to be kind. He's looking to show grace to those who, who appreciate what has been done. Um, and come to, oh, I missed out a couple of things in the previous one, never mind. Come to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll just pick up on that now. Yeah. 
So just for context of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, grace stage 2, I was meant to show you Ephesians chapter 1 and verse... uh, Let's read from verse 6. So Ephesians 1 and verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to, it says, the riches of his grace. So it's another little phrase there, and we've already listed some of those things out in our chart. But the riches of his grace. This isn't just grace now, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the riches of his grace. That was grace stage two. Now, if you turn over to Ephesians chapter two, look at what he calls this grace stage three. So that was the riches of his grace. Now, Ephesians two and verse five. Even when we were dead in sins, hath made us alive together with Christ. Actually, if you've got a an a, AV margin, it says by whose grace you've been saved. So the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? The grace that belongs to Christ. And verse 6, And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come... When's this happening? Well, it's in the kingdom. In the ages to come, at Christ's return, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. This is not just grace. Not just riches of his grace. This is exceeding riches of his grace. In his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? So we've got these three clear ideas. Of three stages of grace. The manifold grace of God. The many and varied grace which go out to all the world. And, and really there seems to be no condition on that. Then we've got the grace that is in Jesus Christ and the exceeding riches of his grace. So let's just very quickly, because we are running out of time. Actually, before we do that, yes, we've got a superabounding grace now. So the idea of abounding grace and our superabounding grace. Um, there is one other thing which doesn't fit in on the surface to the three stages of grace. And that is the Holy Spirit gifts and the apostolic ministry were called grace as well. But I believe they they fit here into stage three as being a taste of the heavenly gift. So what people received as part of that ministry, as part of that Holy Spirit, was like a little taste of the kingdom. Um, And you can talk to me about that afterwards if you like. But there's all the verses... um, in, for those uh, where it's called grace in those particular cases. Now, if we just quickly whiz back to this, and just this is going to be quick and basic, but what are some of the things now which are in the exceeding riches of his grace? Immortality. Immortality. Sorry? You say free from sin. Yeah, thanks. (coughs) 
everlasting Beatitudes. Oh, Beatitudes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like a complete character. I'll put that down as God manifestation. Sorry, what was that one? The character of God, which is law. Yep, so all in all. Okay, very good. Is everyone pretty clear with that? Yeah. Is it pretty basic? So, obviously, God. Um, he first provides this grace. And what is he actually looking for? When he gives, say, the manifold grace, when his grace is going out into all the world, what's, what's it doing? What's he looking for? He's looking for a response. Exactly. He's looking for a response. A faithful response. And what does he do when he receives a response? He gives more grace. And what does he do when he receives more faithful response to that grace? Gives even more grace. How amazing is our God? How amazing is that he is, he is so kind that he is, he is prepared to give all that grace to all the world, to anyone who's ever lived, seeking that response, desperately hoping to lead people to repentance. How incredible is that? So, <clears throat> so just a little chart. Um, so here's our grace stage one, which we've seen. We've seen uh, grace stage two. We had grace, abundant grace, superabundant grace, or grace, you might call it. You might call it the riches of his grace in stage two, and then the exceeding riches of his grace, or the many and varied grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and grace brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay. So you can, you can really do that any any number of different ways. We can call them stages, we can put them into charts, we can do whatever we want. Um, don't, you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Peter chapter 5, um, I'll just read it for you if you like, it says that, that actually this is the true grace wherein we stand. So the description of grace in that, in that verse there is that you're standing in a place. You're standing in a place. And again, in... Uh, I, Pick this up again in Romans chapter 5. Um, in verse 2 it says, By whom also we have, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And it says that the Lord Jesus Christ is like the access. It's, it's like the door. So it's, it's just describing a room. Right? We're standing in a room. If you're, if you're baptised, you're standing in, well, what room would it be? It would be, well, it's the second room 
It's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ room. And so if I was to, to, to draw these rooms, is that working? I might draw them like this. <laughs> I could draw three rooms. Does anyone see what that is? Because in the first room, in the outer court, you have the sacrifice of Christ, the altar and the labour, access to the word. You could stand through the doors and see the sacrifice on the brazen altar. But if you wanted fellowship, if you wanted fellowship with bread and with daily ministration, with prayer, where would you go? Into which room? You'd go into the holy place and you'd have fellowship. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what room is a symbol of immortality? Of the grace that is to come? The most holy. And so here we have the three stages of grace shown in the tabernacle just beautifully. Because it's showing a process. I mean, the study of grace is not outside uh, the salvation that we already know in Christ. And this is the thing. Sometimes we think that we're coming to this topic and... Well, I don't know if you should mention the word grace too much. It's going down that line. It's not like that at all. It's exactly as we understand it. God is taking us through this process, this this three-stage process, if you like, from repentance through to making us perfect. And that's his goal. He wants us in the kingdom. And so he's taking us through these three stages of grace. So here's our here's our tabernacle now, the manifold grace of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the exceeding riches of his grace, and at each stage he seeks a faithful response. His grace has gone out to you and to me so that we would see it and respond to it. And at each stage, yes, he's seeking a response, but he's also seeking something to change within us. As part of this process, he's changing us from what we are now, like the earth was without form and void and turned into something spectacular and beautiful as he takes us through this same process. So... What's changing? I mean, what changes in third stage of grace? What's the change that's made? In the end, when Christ returns, what change is made to us? Nature. Yeah, it's a... It's a it's, well, here's it. Sorry. Here's, so here's God's plan with us, and the change, it's a physical change, isn't it? As he, he changes our mind and our nature and our bodies into incorruptible bodies. And what response and what change is he looking from the manifold grace of God then at the very first? What change is he looking for? Well, I would say it's a mental change. He's calling men all everywhere to repent. And repentance is just going from saying, I think what I'm doing is right, 
to say, well, I think what I was doing is wrong and I want to follow God's ways. God's way is right. And me just left to my own devices is actually wrong. So he's asking people to repent. And for those in Christ, what change is he eliciting from us with his love? It's a moral change. Now as he asks us to, to do away from all that, to be free from sin, you're no longer servants of sin. You're servants of righteousness now. We're called to live a life in Christ. To display those characteristics. And so this three-stage process that he is taking us through, a mental, moral and physical change to present us perfect. What an amazing God we have. And so just a couple of things. How are we going for time? You don't know? Okay. So, so would like five minutes be okay? <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Because I think it's really helpful if we just see this now in, in real life, so to speak. Let's just come back to Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3 and see, see God work out this, this process from the very beginning. And I think having seen this now, having seen these three stages of grace, you can see it everywhere. And uh, I, I'm constantly finding this in, in different ways all the time. But, I mean, we'd, if it was true, we'd see it right here at the beginning. And it is true. So Genesis chapter 2, we've got, here we've got Adam and Eve made in the garden. God gives them a law. Of course, we know they, they disobey the law. They take of the fruit of the tree that they weren't allowed to eat. And now there's a problem, isn't there? Because now there's, they're hiding, they're shameful of what they've done. So how is God going to respond? Now we know what God's purpose is with all people, that he might lead them to repentance and take them into changed people and present them perfect. So how is he going to do that to Adam and Eve? Well, if we come to chapter 3, what's the situation that we find Adam in? Well, verse 9 says, that the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. So here's the situation. Here's, here's Adam. And what doesn't Adam say? What are the words that God is wanting Adam to say at this point? It's already too late. You can't go back on what's been done. But what does he want Adam to say? Any parents in the room? <coughs> sorry? Forgiveness. To apologise, that's it. I'm sorry. That's, that's a state of repentance, isn't it? So you can make that whatever, you know, there's, 
I could make a lot out of the fact that he's also in denial and he's blaming others. You know, he's, he's blaming his wife. Well, well she, you, you gave it to me, God, and I, I just, you know. Um, but the, whatever it is, he's not in a state of repentance, is he? Far from it. Just blame and deny. So he goes through. What does he then do? What does God do? Well, he gives the curse, doesn't he? And the curse. But we know very well that contained within it, Genesis 3.15, what is contained within this? What is contained within this curse? Sun. Yeah, sorry? Sun. Yeah, the sun, yeah. It's, it's a promise. It's hope, isn't it? It's an offer of hope. And what is he asking? What is he seeking from Adam, giving him an offer of hope? He's seeking that change, this mental change from denial to repentance. Well, let's just see if we can see that. It might be a little bit subtle, but let's just look here. Here we have the offer of hope. It's the sacrifice of Christ that's been, been offered to Adam and Eve here. And immediately, well, let's just finish off the curse. Verse, verse 18, thorns also and, and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. Thou shalt eat the herb of the field, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So the curse is finished. Verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. There's his change in mental attitude right there. He's gone from, no, the woman gave it to me and I did eat. No change in attitude whatsoever. What is it? Why is that little verse put there? Because Adam recognised that this offer of salvation would come through his wife. So he called her the mother of all living. This would be the means by which they had hope. So he responds he responds to the grace that God show, had shown them. How does God then respond to Adam's response? What do you think he does? Provides a covering. Exactly. See that? Unto Adam also and to his wife did Yahweh God make coats of skin and clothed them. God couldn't have done that with Adam in the state of mind that he was in. He wasn't repentant. He wasn't grasping hold of salvation. But now he was. Now with his changed <coughs> mindset he was. And then God could heap further grace upon them. And now they're back in fellowship with God. He's, he's created coats of skin and clothing. So here we see this these stages of grace worked out in people's lives. And you'll see them all through scripture as you'll see them in your own life as well. So, a couple of things to conclude. We ask the question, is God's love unconditional? Now, I want to be, first of all, say that this phrase doesn't occur in scripture, so it might be a silly thing to be discussing. But I think it helps just clarify our mind to to grace in this particular time. So, what are your thoughts? It's conditional. It's, it's conditional. All of it. 
some of its conditional, but he did. He sends grace to everyone, but then he'll give more grace to you if you respond to it. Very good. Could everybody hear that? <laughs> Roughly. So, is there a sense? So, where would where would we say that there is an element of unconditional love? Grace stage one. Does everyone think that that's right? So there is an element of conditional, unconditional love in grace stage one. What about grace stage two and three? There's more conditions added. I mean, there is there's more conditions added, but there is conditions, isn't there? I mean, that's clear. So, in terms of say something like Philip Yancey's book. The problem with Philip Yancey's book is he doesn't distinguish between receiving rain and food or immortality and eternal life in the kingdom or redemption in Jesus Christ or forgiveness. There is no distinction whatsoever. And do you see how important that is? Do you see how by just just using the word grace and just applying this multitude of things to it is so dangerous? Because in some sense, some of what Philip Yancey says is absolutely true. If you clarify exactly what he means. But in another sense, he's just so far from the truth. (coughs) And we need to be clear on that. So, there's just one thing. You are right. There is an element of unconditional love in Grace Stage 1. I just want to add just this one thing, which comes back to our first study. What is the purpose of grace? That we need it. Sorry? That we need it. That we need it, yes, but it's more than that. What is, like, what is God's purpose with grace? His glory. Yeah, his glory, that's right. It's for his purpose, isn't it? For his own purpose, to achieve something, to... to to cause people to, from repentance and to take them through to be well, perfect manifestations of himself. So will that go on forever? Or will it one day be fulfilled? Because there's this. And it's actually happened before where God doesn't send the rain. He doesn't doesn't give his, if you like, his kindness to those who don't deserve it. This is in the time of the kingdom. It shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, that have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith Yahweh will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Because at the end of the day, God has a purpose to be fulfilled. And when every last person has repentance has been caused and has been perfected, he will no longer show this kindness to the undeserved. So I say his grace is conditional. It's conditional on his purpose. (coughs) And when that purpose is fulfilled, he will not go on for eternity 
showing this kindness to those who hate him and despise him. So, just to conclude, God is gracious to all. We've established that. But salvation is not universal. It is given to those who faithfully respond to him, to his grace. And salvation in Christ is conditional on our faithful response, as is our acceptance into the kingdom to receive the exceeding riches of his grace. Okay, I think that's all for now. Thanks very much, and we'll carry on tomorrow.